Hello and welcome to today's podcast from the Video Journal of Neurology. We are an open access video journal sharing the latest news in neurology across all major disciplines. Our regular podcast will bring you exclusive insights from renowned experts on hot topics in their fields. In this episode, we will be talking to experts about the current understanding of narcolepsy and advances in the development of treatments. To start with, we'll be hearing from Claudio Bassetti from Insourcepital, who will update us on the evaluation and management of narcolepsy. Professor Bassetti outlines the European guideline and expert statements on the management of narcolepsy developed by the European Academy of Neurology, European Sleep Research Society and European Narcolepsy Network. However, there are still substantial gaps in understanding of narcolepsy, demonstrating the need for further research. We had um, formulated um, the last uh, guidelines on narcolepsy in Europe, uh, I believe something like 15 years ago. So in the meantime, there have been major uh, progresses uh, in, uh, in the treatment uh, of narcolepsy. And uh, the recently published guidelines were um, actually summarizing uh, the great progress in, in, our, in our treatment um, um, possibilities uh, for uh, patients with narcolepsy. What I would like to uh, emphasize in the preparation of the current guidelines are two, three things that are really to be considered a novelty. Also, uh, if compared to other guidelines and particularly to the old guidelines uh, from Europe. The first one is that we have, for the first time, also recommendation about treatment of narcolepsy in children, which is, um, you know, was much needed. And finally, we start having some evidence, although certainly not as good as in adults. Second, um, we actually um, could um, involve in the preparation of these guidelines, um, not only neurologists, not only narcolepsy specialists, but also um, a few methodologists experts, which are very important when, you know, um, formulating guidelines. This is, I think, a general tendency to rely on the advice and support of methodologists in preparing the guidelines, at least from, um, from the standpoint of the European Academy of Neurology. This has become a, a good habit to involve them, and we involve them even as co-authors. And the third, um, uh, you know, point I would like to emphasize in these recent guidelines is the involvement of patients. Uh, it is becoming more and more evident that patient-related outcomes uh, uh, must be considered when formulating guidelines. So the patient may consider certain outcomes of treatment more important than others. So, uh, and we have uh, involved a few patients' representatives in commenting uh, and, um, and working these guidelines. And I think this is also a great progress, I think, in the future. We should never publish guidelines without having, you know, the perspective and the input of patients. Now, in terms of the concrete results, uh, it is difficult now to explain the entire um, um, uh, work that we have done. Um, I think we have um, looked at non-pharmacological intervention and pharmacological intervention in, in narcolepsy. We have looked at symptomatic treatments and causal treatment. Um, the conclusions are based obviously on what the literature tells us is that uh, although a non-pharmacological approach are important, counseling the patient, uh, advising them about 
specific behaviors and so on. Unfortunately, the evidence for this intervention is quite poor. And with the exception of schedule naps, uh, always uh, suggest is probably reasonable, but not uh, based on evidence. In terms of pharmacological intervention, we would like uh, in uh, all diseases to have a treatment that uh, stops the disease or slow down the disease, or what we call causal treatment, precise treatments. And this is not available in ARCRPC. There have been in recent years big discussions about uh, you know, the immune system System playing a significant role in the appearance of narcolepsy. Uh, and the consequence would be that we use immunomodulators to, uh, you know, kind of um, influence uh, the course of the disease. Well, uh, the evidence for the use of immunomodulators is, uh, is not there. I mean, there have been reports, but uh, we have considered the evidence as non-sufficient. So unfortunately, our recommendation on treatment are... Um, uh, limited to symptomatic treatment. But here we have novelties and good news. Um, today, for the treatment of um, narcolepsy, we have uh, several um, medications that we can strongly recommend uh, because of good evidence for the treatment of excessive daytime sleepiness, which is actually the main symptom of narcolepsy. And we have today at least four medications that we can recommend with good, uh, with, you know, with uh, uh, with um, good support from the literature. And we have uh, uh, one to two, uh, up to three medications that, with variable strength of recommendation, we can recommend for the treatment of catalepsy. Catalepsy is the second main symptom of narcolepsy. For nocturnal um, uh, sleep disturbances, which are often uh, not always present in narcolepsy, we have only one medication that we can recommend. And for other um, um, typical symptoms of narcolepsy, hallucinations, sleep paralysis, uh, the evidence is, is very limited. Now, uh, we conclude the guidelines in pointing to what we still miss today. Uh, and please excuse if I don't go into the recommendation of children, it would maybe make my answer too long. What we miss today are uh, actually two important, two, three important things that uh, the future literature should provide us. One is the use of patient-related outcomes based on function. So we have now several studies, uh, well-conducted studies, but uh, until today, uh, almost all studies did not take into consideration functional outcomes, how the patient functions, or if he has to stay awake, for instance, what is it? he able to do from a cognitive point of view or from other functional standpoints, this needs to be improved. The second is that we do have little, if uh, I would say even uh, absent evidence for uh, the treatment of comorbidities. Narcolepsy patients frequently suffer of depression, frequently present metabolic or autonomic disturbances. Uh, the cognitive problems uh, are also very frequently encountered. And we have little, little evidence, little knowledge about how to treat these um, um, symptoms, these comorbidities. So, uh, and finally, as I mentioned at the beginning, we hope that the understanding of um, the etiopathophysiology of narcolepsy, which has much advanced, will possibly in the near future um, bring some uh, new ways, uh, new targets to maybe influence not only the symptoms, but also the course of the disease. I would like to finish in this uh, survol, in this review of uh, the guidelines in saying that um, 
behind the corner, uh, we have two, three new uh, medications uh, that are uh, now being finalized in their approval or being uh, currently tested that in our view and also my personal view, uh, bring much hope that um, the treatment will be enriched quite soon uh, with new options uh, for the patient, which uh, is uh, obviously very needed for a disease, um, which is very disabling and, and although rare, not completely uncommon. Next, Emmanuel Mignon from Stanford University Center for Sleep Sciences will outline the involvement of orexin in the development of narcolepsy type 1 and the potential for future treatment, as the loss of orexin-producing neurons is the main cause of narcolepsy type 1, companies have focused on the production of drugs that target this process. For example, TAC-925 has shown encouraging preliminary results for the treatment of narcolepsy type 1. This is a very exciting time for narcolepsy because first, you know, the cause of narcolepsy type 1 is a loss of orexin neurons and uh, there have been a lot of breakthrough in the field. Uh, one of them is, of course, the development of new drugs that are targeting the orexin system. There have been antagonists that are used for sleeping pills, but now, more excitingly, there's a number of companies who are developing agonists, which will stimulate the receptor. And the preliminary results, um, actually with one drug from Takeda, TAC-925, have, have been spectacular because they uh, completely eliminate pretty much the symptoms of narcolepsy, which is logical because that's a cause of narcolepsy. I mean, I shouldn't say eliminate completely because there are still some issues and we don't understand everything, but it seems to be much more effective than anything else that has been available. Uh, for example, there is a test where we kind of keep people awake uh, for 40 minutes and we try to tell them to stay awake and doing nothing. And a patient with narcolepsy falls asleep in two minutes. With the existing drugs, you can raise this to uh, 15 minutes when you're lucky and 10 minutes. And with this drug, everyone could stay awake 40 minutes. The entirety, the entirety of the test, that's called a maintenance of wakefulness test. So clearly the drugs are very effective and it's going to make a big difference for narcolepsy. That being said, of course, it's a beginning. And in fact, one of the drug, uh, the first drugs that was developed was an IV drug. And uh, then they developed uh, a drug, Takeda developed a drug that was orally administered. But unfortunately, it had a side effect, liver side effect. So, I mean, this is public information. It was, the, the uh, clinical trial was stopped. But there's at least four or five other companies that are developing, well, I don't know how many, <laughs> but some, many companies are developing agonists and it's going to make a huge difference for patients with narcolepsy. So yes, I'm very excited. Finally, we'll be hearing from Karen Maskey from Boston Children's Hospital about the potential pharmacological interventions to treat pediatric narcolepsy and related disorders. There has been some promising evidence supporting the use of stimulants such as modafinil and sodium oxabate. However, behavioural interventions should also be considered when treating narcolepsy in children. At least the American Academy of Sleep Medicine practice parameters for treatment of pediatric hypersomnia disorders did include some uh, evidence supporting um, use of medications for pediatric narcolepsy in specific. Um, 
I think what the work really highlighted is the lack of data. Um, there was some evidence supporting uh, use of stimulant medications, modafinil and sodium oxabate, but the quality of the evidence um, was was not always what we would hope for and certainly not nearly what what's available for adults so i think while the you know the the practice parameters are are certainly useful if we're relying on quality of evidence to make these decisions you know it, there needs to be more work in including children in, in clinical trials. Um, the European guidelines, which came out around the same time, allowed a little bit more leeway for expert opinion and based off clinical practice. So there's there's uh, includes uh, additional drugs that are used for the treatment, such as um, possibly pitolisant, um, and they even offer kind of an algorithm for how to approach a patient for treatment. What I would like to highlight is that, you know, the treatment for children is is never just alone medications and that a, a behavioral um, modifications and behavioral health plan is really important. So making sure they have an understanding of their conditions, um, understanding, you know, when they might need a nap most, for instance, and how to um, advocate for services or, you know, accommodations that they might need in a school setting. These are sort of really important lifelong skills to start developing in, in the pediatric population. Um, and so we hope that those coupled with medications will be effective for management. Those were all the updates we had for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. And if you found it useful, we would love if you could leave a review. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Neurology to join in the conversation and visit vjneurology.com for the latest updates in the field. Until next time.